is to give people uh, that opportunity to, um, to make a clear decision and say, I want in. I want to be a member of this church. I want to be committed to this church community. I want to play my part in this church's mission and ministry. Uh, maybe it's helpful to think of it, changing the analogy, a bit like a dating relationship. Uh, you can imagine being in a relationship where uh, neither party is really clear on the status of the relationship. You know, you've been together a while, but are you as committed as I am? Do we have the same expectations of each other? Uh, the same kind of thing can go with churches, can't it? Someone can come along for six months or a year, but we're not really sure, uh, are they in or are they still sussing us out? Uh, joining in hopefully will help clarify that. So someone can say, yeah, I've been coming along for several months. I've been through the joining in material. I have a good understanding of who Barney's is. Um, I have an understanding of what it would mean for me to be a member. I've had a chat with the church leaders, and I want to make that decision. Or someone might say, yeah, I've been through joining in, and I understand what would be expected of me as a member, and I'm not yet ready to make that decision. I, I like Barney's. I want to keep coming along. I want to get involved in ways that I can, but I'm not yet ready to make that commitment. Either way, I think it's really helpful to be clear on what people are thinking and where they stand. And I want to say up front, there's no pressure on anyone to take that step and become a member. We're very, very happy for people to come along, to be a part of the community, to get involved in ways that you can, and maybe become a member down the track, or maybe not. Uh, that's absolutely fine. So please don't feel any pressure, but, and we'll look at this a bit more next week, the kind of commitment that we're thinking about in being a member of the church is, I think, a good and biblical thing. The, the New Testament envisages that Christians will be committed members of a local church. So don't feel pressure to make that decision, and there'll be good reasons why some people don't. But I do want to encourage you that it's a good, normal, kind of expected thing for a follower of Jesus to be a committed member of a local church. That's a fairly long introduction, but hopefully helpful in introducing this idea of membership, which is kind of new for us here at Barney's. We'll say more uh, in coming weeks, and let's keep talking together. We'll have some Q&A after each of the talks over these three weeks, and if you want to catch up for a coffee at any point, uh, please let me know. Uh, let me explain where we're going to go for the remainder of our time this morning. Um, I've got no exciting or engaging images on the slides. I had designed really fancy transitions, but they get lost when it's converted into uh, presentation software. So uh, unfortunately, they're just boring word slides. But let me explain where we're going. Uh, over the three weeks, um, we're going to cover three big priorities uh, three kind of core values, if you like, for us as a church. Gospel, community, and mission. Three big priorities, three core values, gospel, community, mission. And then each week we'll also look at a more practical aspect of who we are and how we operate. So this morning we're looking at the first core value, the gospel, and we're also going to think about what we believe. And we're going to do that by 
talking about where we sit on the theological map of churches. If that's a new idea, I'll explain it later. Then we'll have a bit of time for reflection, discussion, and then some Q&A. Uh, let me pray, and then we'll jump in to 1 Thessalonians. Lord Jesus, you are the living Lord, and you are the head of your church, your body, your family. We thank you that as we get on with the work of making disciples, we have your promise that you will be building your church and that you will be with us even to the end of the age. We pray that this uh, idea, this um, concept of membership would be helpful for us as a church and you'd lead, lead each one of us as to whether now's the right time uh, to make that commitment. And we pray over these three weeks, Lord Jesus, you would enlarge our vision of what it means to be the church. You would excite us with that vision. You'd show each one of us the part that we can play in the mission of the church here at Barney's and beyond. We pray for your namesake. Amen. Well, let's dive in to that passage in 1 Thessalonians. It's one of my favorite Bible passages, and it's a great one for helping us think about this first big priority, first core value, that of the gospel. Uh, we at Barneys want to be a gospel-centered church, a gospel-saturated church. And in this passage, Paul is describing a model church. You can see that from verse uh, 7. He says, and so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. He, he's writing to this church in Thessalonica, a church that he himself had helped to establish. Now, Paul didn't spend long in Thessalonica. You can read about it in Acts chapter 17, maybe just a few weeks. And yet in that time, people were converted and the church was established. Paul then had to leave Thessalonica, and sometime later he's writing back to this church to encourage them. He's thanking God for them. He's thanking God for uh, their genuine faith. You see, some people in Thessalonica were trying to undermine the faith of these new believers, and Paul is writing to assure them that they are the genuine article. And so we can ask, well, what are the hallmarks of genuine spirituality? Well, what are the hallmarks of a, an authentic church? What does that look like? Well, I think three things come out of the passage. An authentic church is produced by the gospel. An authentic church is shaped by the gospel. And an authentic church proclaims the gospel. In this passage, it's clear that the gospel is seen as something dynamic. It's not just a message. It's a message that has power. If you want an image, I've got two for you. It's, it's like a seed that comes in and takes root in a person and bears fruit in their life and then multiplies out from that person to others. So it's like a seed, or maybe it's like a sound energy that comes into someone and then resonates within them so that they're actually changed internally and then reverberates out from that person to others. 
So it's like a seed, or it's like sound energy. Let's work through these three things. Firstly, an authentic church is produced by the gospel. Look again at verse 4. Paul says, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. Paul says, The gospel came to you. That was the beginning. That was what generated everything for these Thessalonians. And the gospel came with words. Not only with words, but it did come with words. The gospel is a message. It's a message about Jesus. And that message is summarized in verses 9 and 10 at the end of the passage. It's a message about Jesus who reveals the true and living God's. Jesus who was raised from the dead and who will return. The Jesus who died to save us from the coming wrath. So it's a message. It came with words, but not simply with words. It also came with power. Paul says the sign of genuine spirituality was that the gospel came to them with power, with the Holy Spirit, with deep conviction. Now, I take it those are not three separate things, that they're linked together. The power of the Holy Spirit was seen in the deep conviction that these Thessalonians experienced. They heard this message about Jesus and they believed it. They were deeply convicted that it was true. That was the evidence of the Spirit's power. They believed the gospel. And we need to realize that is not a natural thing to do. It's only possible through supernatural Holy Spirit power. And so if you find yourself sitting here this morning and you believe this gospel message about Jesus, then be encouraged. The Holy Spirit has done a powerful work in you. Rejoice. Give thanks like Paul does. Give thanks to God. So an authentic church is produced by the gospel. Secondly, an authentic church is shaped by the gospel. Verse 3, Paul is thanking God for them, and he says, We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is thanking God for their changed life. They didn't just believe the gospel, their lives were transformed by that gospel. In particular, Paul thanks God for three Christian virtues, faith and love and hope. Faith, not just any faith, but faith in God, faith in Jesus, faith in his resurrection and return, faith in his death on our behalf. And it's clear for Paul that true faith is not just belief in a creed. It's a faith that works. A faith that is lived out in everyday life. Love. Not just any love, but love for God and love for other people, especially fellow Christians. And true love, again, is not just an inner emotion True love will always be expressed outwardly as we labor to meet the needs of others. And thirdly, hope. But not hope as we commonly use that word today, as 
wishful thinking, but hope as a confident expectation that God will keep his promises for the future. And again, Paul says that true hope isn't just something that sits internally. True, true hope will bring about endurance in a person's life, endurance in the face of trials. So an authentic church is shaped by the gospel. As the gospel comes into a person and takes root in their life and resonates in them, it bears fruit. I'm mixing my metaphors. Uh, fruit, a faith that works and a love that labors and hope that endures. Thirdly, an authentic church proclaims the gospel. Look down to verse 7. Paul says, And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. The Lord's message rang out. It's a lovely image, isn't it? It's um, that kind of idea of a, a bell that's been donged and it's vibrating and resonating and the sound is spreading out far and wide. See, the gospel is not a message to be kept to yourself. The evidence of genuine spirituality is when the gospel takes root in a person's life, resonates in them, it then reverberates out from them. It's clear that the Thessalonians' witness was one of lip and life, words and deeds. So verse 8 says the Lord's message rang out from you that there were words these Thessalonians were, were speaking, sharing the good news of Jesus. But also, second half of verse 8, your faith in God has become known everywhere. People have heard about how these Thessalonians' lives have been changed and transformed by the gospel. How they're no longer worshipping idols, but the living and true God. So the evidence of genuine spirituality is that when the gospel comes into a person, they receive it, they believe it, and it takes root in them, and it resonates in them, and it transforms their life in an ongoing way, and it reverberates out from them. They can't keep it to themselves. It's such good news they have to share it. At Barney's, we want to be a church like this. We want to be a gospel-centered, gospel-saturated church. We want to be a church that is receiving the gospel, making it a priority to be reminded of the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus. On Sundays, in our personal devotions, in our family Bible times, in our DNA groups, we want to be a church in which the word of God dwells richly, encouraging each other with the truths of the gospel. And we want to be a church that's being shaped more and more, not just preaching the gospel, not just believing it, but being changed, being shaped by it, living in line with the truth of the gospel. We want Barney's to be a church that has and grows a gospel culture, if you like, a, a community that's characterized by humility, and love, and generosity, and forgiveness, and joy. When the gospel really takes root in the life of a person, the life of a community, 
those are the kind of fruits that will be produced. And we want to be a church that's proclaiming the gospel. If we really believe the gospel, then we won't be able to keep it to ourselves. We'll share it whenever and with whoever we have opportunity. We want to be a church that's ringing out with the sound of the gospel, providing lots and lots of opportunities for people to hear it, to explore it, to find out more of what God has done in Jesus. Now, in a few moments, we're going to think and reflect, uh, maybe on your own, maybe with the people around you, about how we can be gospel-centered individuals and a gospel-centered church. How we can be part of making Barney's a gospel-centered, gospel-saturated church. But before we do that, I want to take a sidestep and uh, articulate a bit more on what we believe as a church here at Barney's. And as I said before, we're going to do that by explaining where Barney's sits on the theological map of churches. This is something we cover in Newish, uh, but I thought it'd be helpful for everyone to hear. So um, there's a diagram on the screen. Hopefully you can read the words. If not, I'll um, tell you what they are. Um, Labels are imperfect. You know churches like to label themselves. Uh, They're imperfect, but they can be helpful in giving some broad description of where we sit. So you've got here a diagram of concentric circles. The, the center circle is the most important thing about us. We are a Christian church. And then as you move out through the circles, that is defined more and more. So on the outside, uh, we're Anglican. And that is the least important thing about us. And many of the people who are part of the church here at Barney's wouldn't particularly describe themselves as as Anglican, and that's fine. And in fact, if you want to be a member of Barney's, the only one of these that you need to really agree with is that center circle. You just need to be Christian. That said, you'll probably find it difficult being part of the church if you're not on board with at least the first three. So let me go through them quickly. Firstly, we are Christian, not a cult. Uh, In terms of what we believe, we hold to the historic creeds of the church. So the Apostles' Creed that we said this morning, and the Nicene Creed that's a bit longer and we say occasionally, and the Athanasian Creed, which we never say because it's really long and quite confusing. Those three creeds kind of define Orthodox Christian belief about the Trinity, about Jesus' identity as fully man and fully God, about his life, his death, his resurrection, his reign, his return, and about the things of salvation. So we're Christian, we're not a cult, because what you find with all the cults is that they'll usually deny one or more of these statements in the creed. So for example, Jehovah's Witnesses would deny that Jesus is fully God. Secondly, we're Protestant, not Catholic. Got to do a little bit of church history here. In the 16th century, there weren't lots of denominations as there are today. That The Roman Catholic Church was really the only game in town. But through a German monk called Martin Luther and others who followed him, God exposed ways that the Roman Catholic Church had drifted from the truth of the gospel. In particular, it was rediscovered 
that a person is saved not through any good works that we've done, but by God's grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone. The churches that formed out of the Reformation are called Protestant because they were protesting against the errors of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, it's worth saying the Roman Catholic Church today is different to what it was back in the 16th century, but there would still be aspects of Roman Catholic official teaching that we would not agree with. So we're Protestant, not Catholic. Thirdly, we're evangelical, not liberal. Now, evangelical is a label that people use in different ways. I'm using it here to make a point about our source of authority. So to say we're evangelical means that we look to the Bible, the Word of God, as our supreme authority. When we're asking questions about uh, what, what is true, what, what is the right way to live, we want to uh, listen first and foremost to what the Bible says. Now, I've said we're evangelical rather than liberal. A, a liberal church would typically make human reason the supreme authority in answering those questions. Uh, but to say we're evangelical means to say, you know, human reason has a, a, a place. Uh, so does church tradition and personal experience. They all have a role to play as we uh, think through those questions. But if any of those come into conflict with what God has said in the Bible, we're going to go with the Bible. We're evangelical, not liberal. Fourthly, we are Reformed, not Arminian. We're kind of back to the Reformation again. Reformed theology is closely linked to the teaching of one of the leading reformers called John Calvin. You've probably heard of Calvin. To be Reformed rather than Arminian, now nothing against the country of Armenia. This is Arminian as a system of belief. To be Reformed rather than Arminian, means that we're defining more precisely what we believe about salvation. In particular, we believe that God does all the heavy lifting in the work of salvation. He does everything needed to save people. That the sinfulness of humanity means that we, we cannot, we were kind of thinking about it in the catechism, we cannot independently choose to believe in God that that is only possible, as we were learning in 1 Thessalonians, when God does a supernatural work in a person through the Holy Spirit, enabling them to believe. And that it's God who then does everything needed to protect and sustain a person in faith right to the end of their life. And that's a really brief summary. And we're getting to the outer circles, and um, there would be people part of the church here at Barney's who would be Arminian rather than Reformed or somewhere in the middle. But as a church leadership, um, we are Reformed. Finally, we're Anglican rather than anything else. We're at the outer circle now. We're Anglican by denomination. This is the least important thing about us, but it is still significant. And there are a few things I like about the Anglican denomination. Uh, it's theology, it's liturgy, its sacraments and its governance. Really quickly, its theology. Um, you'll find Anglican churches, uh, let me say, because this is the least important thing about us, it means that we'd have more in common with an evangelical church from another denomination that, than we would with 
churches within the Anglican denomination that are liberal. Does that make sense? And although you'd find churches that are liberal, one of the things I like about the Anglican church is the official documents are solidly biblical. Secondly, the liturgy, there's a recognition within the Anglican denomination that we're formed as disciples not just by what we believe, but by how we worship, how we pray. And the prayers that you find in the Anglican prayer books are wonderful, biblical, encouraging prayers. Thirdly, the sacraments. Anglicans baptize the children of believers because we see them as part of the body of Christ. Now, not everyone at Barney's would be happy to do that and haven't, and that's fine, but it's one of the distinctives of being Anglican. And finally, governance. Anglicans have bishops who have responsibility for a group of churches in what's called a diocese, a local area. And so in the Adelaide Diocese that we belong to, there are about 60 churches. And then local churches are led by ordained ministers. So I'm an ordained Anglican minister. But although there are those kind of leadership positions, what you find within Anglican theology is a strong emphasis on every member of the body sharing in responsibility for the mission and ministry of the church. So, we're Anglican, Reformed, Evangelical, Protestant, Christian church. You don't have to agree with any of that to come to Barney's. Uh, we want to be a church that's open and welcoming to all people of any faith or none. And we want, as I said before, to be providing lots of opportunities for people to explore questions of faith. So you don't have to believe any of that to come along. To become a member of the church, as I said, you only really need to be on board with that first one. You need to be Christian, able to sign up to the Apostles' Creed. But, as I said, you'll probably find it difficult being a member of the church if you're not on board with the first three. Um, you've heard a lot from me. I want to give you an opportunity to pause and reflect. Ooh, let's go back. Um, maybe talk to the people around you if you want to. And uh, we're going to have some Q&A in a little bit so you could talk about what questions would be helpful to ask. But also, I'd love you to think about this, this question. Um, what's one action you can take to be gospel-centered, to be receiving the gospel, being shaped by the gospel, proclaiming the gospel. What's one thing you could, um, what's the one thing you think would make the most difference to, to you, to us, being gospel-centered, gospel-saturated? It might be something you're already doing, you want to keep going with, it might be something new that you want to start doing. So I'm going to give you two minutes to reflect, discuss, and then we'll have some Q&A.